Good morning, and good morning to everyone who's joining online. Those of you who watch the TV series The Crown uh, may remember a recent episode where the Queen visited the Welsh town of Aberfan following a disaster in 1966. Uh, it was a situation where a colliery tip had collapsed and it had resulted in the deaths of 28 adults and 116 children. And the TV series rather controversially suggested that the Queen came perhaps a little late after the disaster to make her visit and struggled to express her grief. But that is not the actual testimony of many people who were there at that time. They speak of the impact of the visit of our Queen uh, in that moment. And one mother said about the impact of her visit, we were still in shock. I remember the Queen walking through the mud. It felt like she was with us from the beginning. And I wonder where you feel you can place your hope this Christmas with Omicron and all the debate going on about Downing Street Christmas parties and continuing climate change and real concern about mental health in the nation, where can you and I place our hope? Micah says that we need a ruler who has all the weight and authority of the Queen, but who also has her compassion. You want somebody who can come alongside you and empathize with you in your problems, but you also need somebody with sufficient power and influence in order to be able to make a difference. And 800 years before the birth of Jesus, Micah writes this book, and in it he describes the terrible state in Israel at this time. If you've heard the phrase, uh, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, then read Micah. He really got there first. But in chapter 5, he proclaims a powerful message of hope. And he prophesies a future ruler, Jesus, who, like the queen coming to Abaphan, is going to come low and is going to walk with his people in their suffering through the mud. Eugene Peterson, taking words from John 1.14, says Jesus will become flesh and blood and will move into the neighborhood. And he'll be different from any other ruler, Micah says. Why? Well, partly simply because of his purity of character, his snow-white integrity. He says of Jesus, he will stand and shepherd his flock and they will live securely, and he will be their peace. Do you need, do you want peace this Christmas? Micah says Jesus is the sole guarantor of that peace. He wants you to know that you're cared for. He wants you to know security, and he wants you to know his shalom, his deepest peace. And this makes Jesus different from three other rulers of his day. 
the Emperor Augustus, who reigned at the time of Jesus' birth, he was a man who had taken 300 captives in battle, returned them to Rome, and then sacrificed them as living sacrifices on an altar to Caesar. Augustus's alleged last words were, have I played the part well, then applaud as I exit. Then there was Governor Quirinius who established the census which brings Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. He was a political climber. He'd married and divorced. He'd married and divorced in order to climb the greasy pole. And he was notorious for enforcing heavy taxes with military coercion and might. And then there's King Herod, a puppet ruler of Rome at this time. He also collected taxes from the people, sent them to Rome, but kept plenty from them in order to line his own pocket. He had one of his enemies drowned while swimming. He had three of his own sons executed which gave rise to a popular saying at the time, it is better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Jesus is light years away from these three. But the other reason that he's so different from the other rulers of his time is that he is born in Bethlehem. He comes to a place which Micah calls small. Micah says, though you are small, among the clans of Judah. And the actual word there doesn't mean small as in little, despite us singing, O little town of Bethlehem. It actually means insignificant, without significance, mean and lowly, profoundly ordinary. That's Bethlehem. Bethlehem lies about seven miles south of Jerusalem in the shadow of that mighty city. But at this time, Jerusalem was about to be invaded by Assyria and the whole political axis was going to change. Because in being born in Bethlehem, it's no longer about rulers who are born in palaces, in situations of might. It's about a king who comes low, very low indeed. And consider Jesus' early CV, utterly different from the existing rulers, born amidst animal refuse. Infancy, he's a refugee to Egypt. Childhood, grows up in a provincial backwater, a place no one thinks anything good can come from. The amazing news of this passage is that the Messiah, our King, who comes in the strength of the Lord, Micah says, and in the name of the Lord his God, is born into poverty. He stoops. If you're a Christian, you have a king who stoops, who comes very low. He's close to you. Palace walls can't separate him from you. He wants to be shoulder to shoulder with you. This is how much Jesus cares. And it's this same combination of authority, power, and compassion that people have always been moved by. It's the same combination we see in our queen, Queen Elizabeth, mortal though she is. Listen to the testimony of one woman, a 71-year-old lady, who said of her experience of being in the presence of the queen at a Maundy Day ceremony, 
It surpassed anything that I ever thought to have the queen pass so close to me. And yes, she smiled. She smiled at me. You have a savior who stoops from heaven in order to walk with you in the mud and to smile upon you. But if you're totally honest, are you really comfortable with one who holds such power and yet who comes so low, who washes feet and endures the scandal of the cross? It's, it's really hard, I think, to get our heads around somebody who can have all of that authority from heaven and yet who so lowers himself to serve others. And though we sometimes prefer to retain control and to exalt ourselves rather than to give up control and go low. I remember a time when I was directing an opera for a Scottish opera company. It was of a, a Verdi opera. And um, the thing about Verdi operas is you require amazing lung power to sing the roles. There are actually only so many people in the world who can sing some of Verdi's roles. And um, there I went up to Scotland to direct this production, and I didn't have a good feeling when I got there. I found out that the rehearsal room that we were going to rehearse in was actually where they drew up the blueprints for the Titanic. But I'd started the rehearsals, and halfway through, the management uh, actually decided to release the Russian lead young singer. He was playing the kind of romantic, heroic lead Role. He couldn't basically hold the notes. He was actually an ex-boxer. Amazing pair of lungs, but he couldn't hold the notes. And they found that the only person available in the world who could sing the role on our production dates uh, was in Australia and could come, but would only be able to arrive the day before the press night. And meanwhile, I'd have to rehearse with a stand-in and then bring this gentleman in from Australia within 24 hours. It was a total nightmare. Anyway, at the final rehearsal, the day before the press night, in a dark theater, in walks the man from Australia to play the young romantic lead. And down the aisle he walks, he's actually 63, and he's five foot one. And he comes to the front of the stage and introduces himself to me, throws open an attache case, and takes out four-inch platform heel boots, which he proceeds to strap on and climb up onto the stage. And we begin the rehearsal. And um, we actually had to redesign his, his costume overnight for the prison scene. He was meant to be barefoot. Uh, but he was intended to kiss the soprano in that scene, and he thought it was going to be awkward. She was about eight inches taller than him. And so we had to make a kind of large, flared um, prison uniform uh, that would hide the platform heels. But this wasn't just a height issue. When it came to the following night, the press night, uh, despite the direction I'd given him for 24 hours, every time uh, he was in the middle of a scene, and was due to sing an aria. He would leave the person he was acting with, sweep to center stage at the front, and sing his majestic aria. And worse than this, the audience loved it. 
he wouldn't come low. He didn't want to leave the spotlight. He wanted to exalt himself. But God doesn't wear platform heels. And the amazing news of the incarnation is that we have a Messiah who, in the strength of the Lord and in the name of the Lord our God, comes low. Jesus, who is in heaven, reigning right now as the highest of high, comes to us and to the lowest of the low. And this is wonderful good news for each one of us. It means not one of you here is insignificant. He may stoop, but he doesn't want you to stoop. He wants you to stand tall. And if you feel like you're bent under a weight this morning from any kind of burden or oppression in life, Jesus comes in order to take that burden from you so that you can stand tall afresh. He comes to the poor. He comes to the brokenhearted. He comes to the captives, the prisoners, to those who are mourning. We hear about all this in Isaiah 61. He chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And he comes not just to lowly people, he comes to lowly places. So when tomorrow you look around your neighborhood or you look around your office and you think, in frustration, I just don't think anything very good can come out of here. Jesus says to you, this is precisely where I come to reign and rule, where I come to shepherd, where I come to enable people to live securely, to be their peace. He can redeem anywhere. Nowhere is barren in the eyes of our Lord. He doesn't come to Jerusalem. He comes to Bethlehem. And yet part of me still resists this spiritually, and perhaps it does you too. Because the truth is, my flesh wants Jesus, my Savior, to meet me in my successes. I want him to meet me in my independence and my achievements. I don't want my CV to have to list my spiritual failings and failures. I want it to list my spiritual merits and my prayers answered and my gifts recognized. I prefer Jerusalem to Bethlehem. The boxer Muhammad Ali was flying interstate on a plane uh, at one point in his career to defend his heavyweight uh, title uh, when the captain came over the tannoy and said, um, there is uh, severe turbulence approaching. Uh, would passengers and crew immediately fasten their seatbelts? And you know when a captain says severe turbulence uh, is coming, you know you're in for a bumpy ride. So everyone complied. But one flight attendant noticed that Muhammad Ali still had his seatbelt open on his lap. And so she went over and she politely but firmly said, Sir, excuse me, but the captain says, we're in for real turbulence. Would you mind fastening your seatbelt? And Muhammad Ali looked up at her calmly with that great charm and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she replied, quick as a flash, Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> and too much of the time, I try to behave in my life as if I was Superman. And when things go wrong and when I mess up, I take the Superman route. 
I try to live out of righteousness and earn my way back into God's favor instead of coming humbly to Jesus upon the cross, experiencing his grace. And this is the religious spirit that Micah talks about in his book because he doesn't just talk about financial exploitation and rampant injustice. He describes spiritual rot. He says of the nation, her priests teach for a price and her prophets tell fortunes for money. And yet they lean upon the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? The real problem in Micah's day is not corrupt leadership, bad though it is. It's the brokenness of the human heart. It's the religious spirit that says that God's favor can be earned. And when Micah writes of the coming savior that he will bring his people peace, he's not really just talking about a peace that will end war and where nations will beat their swords into plowshares, although he does mean that too. At the deepest level, he's talking about a peace that we can only know when we're reconciled to God our Father, who we've become separated from through our sin. And we become reconciled through Jesus, his son, who Micah describes coming here. So Jesus doesn't just come to lowly people and lowly places. He actually comes to the lowest places in the human heart, in your heart and my heart. And this is why Micah ends his book by speaking of God the Father. And he describes him like this. He says, our God delights to show mercy, has compassion on us, treads our sins underfoot, and hurls all our iniquities into the sea. These are powerful actions. God hurls your misdemeanors and mine to the very bottom of the ocean. And he wants to do that for some of you this morning. And Jesus, his son, gives up majesty in heaven, in the very Godhead, in the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he comes where? To meager Bethlehem, in the body of a baby, in the form of a slave. He never lives in a palace. He has no place to lay his head. He forfeits royal robes. He wears simple garments, which his executioners gamble over. He never wears a proper crown, only a crown of thorns that they jam upon his head. Jesus wins your heart, not by dazzling you with earthly might and power and glory, no, but by showing you a love that you can't resist. And when you sense and see and feel that he's laid his glory aside for you and loved you to the point of death, then it melts your heart. Who alone can you have hope in this Christmas? Who alone can save? Only one who both has almighty power and who will come supremely low. He is the only one who can be our savior. And to each one of you this morning, I believe Jesus wants to say he's here and he wants to redeem low places within you. He wants to bring his reign and rule there 
this morning. And places of pain inside you, he wants to be there in the mud, treading that ground with you. Let's end with a prayer, uh, which is taken from the final majestic verse of the carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Why don't we just uh, bow our heads and close our eyes and invite the Holy Spirit to come. So come, Holy Spirit, and be with us as we pray. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. And we pray these words in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.